All right, let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. Our text this morning is going to be verses 15 through 22. A little uh, tiny section there tucked away at uh, the end of this chapter that I hope will be meaningful to us. We'll see the topic there is that four Philistine giants are defeated by David and his men. The title of our message this morning, Effacing the Giants. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that it would just wash over us this morning. That it would cleanse us. And that we would understand, Lord, its sanctifying effect. Whatever I say, Lord, I pray it would not get in the way of what you want to say to me and to every heart here. We believe, Lord, by the Spirit of God who is here in this place and indwelling most of us, that you can speak to us individually and personally. And Lord, we'll recognize your voice. It's the voice of our Father. It's a voice of love and compassion and concern. You may have some very serious things to say to us, Lord, as you do from time to time. But when you do, it's with the love of a parent for a child. To see us, Lord, walking in a way that is pleasing to you because ultimately that's the way that will bring us life and health. That's the way that will bring us fruit and keep us, uh, Lord, grounded. And so, Lord, do these things through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The feigning spell of Marie Osmond on Dancing with the Stars took the show by surprise. You don't have to be a fan of the show to have seen that clip somewhere. One minute she was smiling at the judge's table and the next minute she fainted and was on the floor. King David, we'll see, is going to be involved in a more serious situation when we read in our text that he grew faint. He was engaged in hand-to-hand combat with a Philistine giant. His life was in peril. One of David's men, Abishai, came to his aid and struck down the giant for him. David's near fainting spell can serve to remind us as believers in Jesus Christ, there's a kind of spiritual fainting that occurs. We're told, for example, in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. Spiritual fainting is also referred to in the King James Version translation of 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Ephesians 3.13 and in Hebrews 12.3 and 5. And so it's something that we need to deal with. While we're told to not faint, it's assumed we're going to be fighting to the point of growing faint. In other words, the way to avoid fainting is not by avoiding fighting or we might say serving. No, the truth is, if we are really in the fight, really pressing forward, there will be times in which, like David, we grow faint. Or if it isn't you fainting, someone in your vicinity is, you might be the one who is available to come to the aid of a fainting fellow believer. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points as we work through these verses. Number one, you're in a fight that will lead to fainting. And number two, take up the fight for those who are fainting. First of all, in verse 15, let's see the fight that leads to fainting. The great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, has a chapter in his book, lectures to my students that's titled the minister's fainting fits listen to his description of fainting there he says this usually cheerful as we may be we must at intervals be cast down 
The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. The children of light sometimes walk in the thick darkness. The heralds of the daybreak find themselves at times in tenfold night. Now, Spurgeon, in his article called Fainting Depression, I would rather use the term discouragement because of all the psychobabble that surrounds the modern use of the term depression. Call it what you will. It seems that it is the common lot of Christians who are busy serving the Lord, who are engaged in the fight to grow weary in their well-doing and come to the point of fainting. I hope this morning that just looking at this subject will help those of us who are fainting or have grown weary uh, to be encouraged. Now, uh, the man after God's own heart, David, grew faint. We read it in verse 15, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines and David grew faint. You could always count on one thing in Israel and that was that the Philistines were going to come and fight you. They were at war again and you might just say still. When Israel wasn't fighting them, they were planning on fighting them. And so uh, the Philistines, Israel's perpetual enemies, it reminds us back in the book of Joshua where God uh, said through Joshua, uh, told them that some of the enemies would remain in the land so that they would learn to fight. Uh, sometimes if you wonder why God hasn't given you rest in every area of your life, uh, it's because you need the practice. You need, the re- you need to learn how to fight. You need to stay sharp. It's a reminder that we as believers in Jesus Christ are engaged in one long campaign against fierce foes that will last until we see the Lord face to face. The world, the flesh, the devil, they just keep coming at you. And they do it in new and unusual combinations as time goes on. Until you wake up in heaven, you are not going to wake up to a day in which the world isn't against you or your flesh isn't making its demands to be sinfully satisfied or the devil has decided he's just going to leave you alone. None of those things is going to happen while you draw breath on this planet. David and his servants with him were told, in David's case, these servants were other fighting men, mighty men, warriors who had been tested in battle. And we'll have more to say in a moment about having other battle-tested believers around us to take up the fight when we grow faint. But even without them, we have servants to stand with us in the fight. The Word of God can serve us in the fight. Uh, we read in the Bible that it's our sword in, uh, in the analogy of the battle. When the devil came against Jesus in the wilderness... The Lord relied upon the Word of God to serve him in the exchange. He uh, only quoted Scripture uh, to the devil uh, and so um, teaches us that uh, to overcome the devil, I just need to be filled with God's Word. I just need to know God's Word uh, and apply it. Spirit of God is a servant to us. Jesus promised each believer that he would send to be within us another comforter, one who would come alongside of us to help us. Now, we might think of comfort as something to soothe the weak after they've been defeated, but comfort is a word that denotes strength. The indwelling Holy Spirit comforts us by reminding us we are seated in heaven with the Lord. We have access to every spiritual blessing His death and resurrection have provided us. 
Uh, We don't mention it often, but there is an indication in the Bible that powerful angels are involved in our lives. Elijah's servant, for example, had his eyes temporarily open to the world all around him. He saw armies of angels protecting he and Elijah. And so the enemy had come against them and he was fretting. And Elijah said, Lord, open his eyes. And he saw these terrifying angels all around him. And so at any given moment in your life, you have the word of God uh, to apply. You have the spirit of God indwelling. And you can be sure that there's a spiritual realm around you in which God is solidly in control. And so even without the intervention of other warriors, we are never without servants. It says David went down. David took the fight to the enemy. He didn't wait around for them to be strengthened. He wasn't willing to yield any ground to them. If he wasn't fighting Philistines, he was preparing to fight Philistines. Remember, uh, I think last week we talked about Saul and his treatment of the Gibeonites. Uh, When Saul was king, he decided to kill Gibeonites and take their lands and their possessions. The Gibeonites were in a covenant with Israel to be protected by them. Saul ought to have been fighting Philistines and Amalekites and those kinds of people, but instead he fought a defenseless people that were in his own midst. He cannibalized them, as it were. Uh, Not so David. David protected the Gibeonites and he said, we have real enemies to fight. A lot of times I think in the Christian life, we get caught up in, in, I want to be careful saying this because if it's, if it's important to you, it's important, but from a, a, a far enough perspective, a lot of what we deal with is petty, is it not? Some of the petty things that happen in our lives and we get wounded and hurt and bothered by it and all. And, and I think the answer to that is say, hey, aren't there any Philistines around to fight? Aren't there any real enemies? Who are God's real enemies? It's not me. I'm not the enemy. You're not the enemy. Let's get over these things. Let's find the real enemy, prepare to fight them and link shields together as it were. And so David went down. He took the fight to the enemy. He fought against the Philistines. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul exhorted young Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. It's 1 Timothy 6.12. At the end of his own life, Paul would say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course I have kept the faith, which leads us to ask, am I in the fight? Am I more separated from the world today than I was yesterday? Or is the world creeping in past my defenses? It's a question we could ask and answer. All of us could do that. If we're honest with ourselves, we can look and say, oh, you know, I'm a little bit more or I'm a little bit less worldly than I was yesterday. And believe me, the world, the world reminds me of some like, you know, when we talk about the world and the world system and the evil world system and all. It reminds me of like some weird sci-fi movie with creeping fog. And have you ever seen, you know, where everything's fine and all of a sudden the fog and the smoke comes in off the window. Ah! You know, and you're, I don't know what it does to you to just, you know, have creeping fog. But, you know, if you're not careful, if you're not insulating and, and watching all the time, the world is just always creeping like a fog. And, and it, it just builds up and it builds up and we, we can let it in if we're not careful. Am I hacking away at the flesh or am I indulging the lusts of my flesh? That's an easy one to answer, really. I'm either doing one or the other. I'm either carnal or I'm spiritual. And uh, sadly, I, I find that in my own life and the lives of others, 
uh, the more we walk with the Lord, the, the more uh, sometimes we relax and we think, well, you know, the flesh, uh, it, I've got that under control. I can indulge it just a little and keep that under control. Man, I tell you, the flesh, it wants to eat you. Your flesh wants to cannibalize you and destroy you and, 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 and it will. Uh, and so, am I hacking away at it or indulging it? Inevitably, there comes a time when you will grow faint in this battle. David did. There are any number of reasons why you might grow faint. I, I can only uh, give you the tip of a huge iceberg this morning. For example, in the passage in Galatians we quoted, where you're told to not grow weary in well-doing, the context there seems to be sowing and reaping. Paul is arguing that if you sow spiritual things, you will reap a spiritual harvest. But as any farmer will tell you, it takes time for the harvest to appear. And a lot of times in my life, it seems like I've planted asparagus. It just, I don't know if it's ever going to come up. You know, I like that quick growing stuff. We have a, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned it on Wednesday night, we have a hydroponic garden. It's a little arrow garden thing that grows six little pods. I've got so much basil, I don't know what to do with it, you know. And, and so you fill this thing with water and you turn it on and it's got a filter and you put nutrients. And we have, I mean, it's delicious basil. Basil and oregano and mint and uh, what else do we Oh, and dill. I love dill in my eggs now. But anyway, uh, so we, and it's, it's, it's just got a lot of immediate satisfaction for me. It, it just, you know, after it says right on the little thing, it says this will sprout in seven days. And so every day I'm out there looking for these little sprouts and now it's growing like crazy. I don't think I would have the patience to do so. If it said this will grow in six months. Well, I'm going to forget about it after two weeks and then I'm going to come back and it's going to be all dry and the pump is going to be broken. There's no nutrients. I'm say, what happened? And so spiritual fruit is like that. And so we can grow weary sometimes because God says, here's what I want you to do. And then you do it and you do it day in and day out and day in and day out. And you just don't see the harvest, do you? Those of you who are raising children, man, do you have a long time to wait to see the harvest? And there's a sneaking suspicion that you're going to get lemons when you planted oranges, you know, but uh, life hands you lemons, you have lemons. But anyway, uh, you know what I mean? So it, it, that's one reason why we grow weary in well-doing. The waiting, the trusting by faith leads to feigning. Now, if we look just at David's situation, there are two more reasons we grow faint. First, we might notice that the fight went on and on year after year with no end in sight. It wasn't so much that he was waiting for something to happen. It's just that every time you killed a Philistine giant, they came and regrouped with a new Philistine giant. As we'll see towards the end, they just got weirder and weirder. And so there was no end to these fights. It seems like we're not gaining ground in the fight sometimes. Maybe that's true, but it's something to not lose ground also to defend what we have gained and to repel attacks against it. And so, you know, a lot of times we're, we're all into gaining ground and pressing forward, and that's good, but sometimes God says, I want you to defend this position. That's your duty. Defend this position. And, and you don't always know exactly what God has for you. Uh, you know, it's one thing in the military if they come to you and say, this is your job, your job is to defend this position. And you think, okay, I am doing my job and I'm doing it well. But in the Christian life, you've got, you know, God gives you dreams and desires or you feel like this or that. And then you end up de you're defending a position 
And it, it's not really clear to you that that's what you're doing. You think you should be advancing or moving out or doing something else. And you know, uh, just on a personal note, this is what, uh, well, I think in every church setting, people think, well, you, you have to always be growing in certain areas, doing certain new things. Otherwise, wow, where's the Spirit of God? And we don't think in terms sometimes of just... Maybe we're defending a position because no one else is. And, you know, and it's a good thing to defend a position because refugees will come in to that place and, and they'll be safe. I'm not saying, you know, there shouldn't be growth or that we're anti-growth or anything like that. I'm just spinning out that, you know, we don't know what the Lord wants. And, and what you want to do is just be faithful. Are you faithfully defending your position? Then continue to do that and don't grow weary. Or similarly, it might seem that our fight is something mundane, repetitive, and it renders our life almost inconsequential. Day after day, it's the same old. It doesn't seem like we're in a fight at all. We get discouraged. We want something different, something we think we might even deserve, when in fact this is the fight that God has definitely called us to wage and win. I'm not just talking about Primarily serving the Lord in the church even. Talking about serving Him at home and at work and at school, in your everyday life. Being a godly husband and father, a godly wife and mother, godly employee. That's where the battle can seem so endless that you grow faint looking down the corridors of time. Second reason David grew faint might have a physical connection. It's suggested by commentators that David was too old to fight. Well, that is possibly true. The text doesn't really blame David's age. It doesn't say that he was old and should have stayed home. It's an assumption, probably a good one, but not a certainty. Let's say for the sake of argument that David's fainting did have to do with advancing age. Most of us, as we age, are going to be touched by some physical infirmities, some worse than others. It's just the human condition. I kind of get a kick out. Now, don't get me wrong. Even though I don't look like I'm in great shape, I'm not against people exercising and being in shape and doing all that. So if, if that's your thing, I'm all over that. I go through spurts where I like to exercise as well. They last about two weeks. But anyway, uh, so I'm not against physical... You know, the Bible says physical exercise profits a little while. It does profit, so there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I, it cracks me up as I get older and my friends get older and they start complaining about different physical things and they're looking for solutions to that. I'm thinking, man, your body is wearing out, bro. Your, your joints are never going to work like they used to work. You can take all kinds of whatever it is, chondroitin or whatever it is people take, just pile it on. You might as well, you get cortisone shots until you're blue in the face, but your body is breaking down. I kind of enjoy watching people's bodies break down because mine is breaking down. It's just the condition of things, you know? It seems like, you know, you get... Anyway, I don't want to go deep into it. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, your body is going to wear out. Nothing can contribute to fainting more rapidly than a serious or chronic infirmity. It takes an emotional toll getting up every day knowing your own body is fighting you. It doesn't seem as though you can even get in the real fight anymore because you're so concentrated really on just trying to get through life. Infirmities of this nature will continue to be a source of growing faint. It can't be helped. 
Even those who remain more or less healthy still age and their bodies let them know it. And so fainting is something that all of us are going to have to deal with. The Bible wouldn't tell you to not faint unless it was something you were prone to. It doesn't tell you in order to defeat you, but to remind you we are in a serious struggle against powerful foes and sometimes we're going to be on the verge of fainting. Have you grown faint? It is because you've been in the fight, wielding the sword of the Spirit, holding up your shield of faith, gaining or at least holding ground against the world and hacking away at the flesh. The devil keeps looming as a giant who refuses to concede defeat, but you stand against him anyway, maybe with just a bare breath left, but you're standing against him. Be encouraged that you're in good company. David grew faint as he fought. Many of the men in the Bible grew faint only to be strengthened, to not quit, but go on fighting, to go on serving. So can you be. Now, in the remaining verses, we see that we can take up the fight for those who are fainting. David once faced and felled a giant alone. It might be the the thing that David is the most famous for, David and Goliath. He wasn't really alone because it was in the Lord that he defeated Goliath. But he was by himself as to other warriors. No one else would go out against Goliath. And so David faced him alone at maybe age 15 with his uh, sling and a few rocks. God, who strengthened him as a teenager to fight alone, could easily have strengthened him as a senior citizen to fight alone. See, it's interesting when we, we talk about this in the commentators, they say, well, David was old. Oh, well, there you go. God can't strengthen old people. That's not true. In some ways, it's easier to strengthen an old man because David's familiar. He knows how to kill people. You know, to me, it's it's more of a miracle that he takes a 15-year-old out against a nine-foot giant. And, you know, that's a miracle. But then they look at, well, David's old. You can't expect him to be able to fight. Hey, Caleb is, man, you know, in the Old Testament, Caleb and Joshua, those guys were way old. Caleb says, man, I'm, I'm 80 years old. I want giants. Bring me giants. I want to kill whatever's out there. And, and so God could have strengthened him, but God chose to deliver David another way. In our story, David was part of a fighting force. There were others like him. God can provide and probably has provided other Christians to stand with you in your fight. Verse 16, then Ishbi Benab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. Now, a phrase that keeps repeating in these verses is the sons of the giant. It can be translated the sons of the Rephaim or Rephaim. Let me read uh, to you this entry from a Bible encyclopedia. Here's what the smart guys think. It says the Rephaim were a race of aboriginal or early inhabitants east of the Jordan in Ashtoreth Karnaim and in the valley of Rephaim, southwest of Jerusalem. They were the aborigines of Palestine, afterwards conquered and dispossessed by the Canaanite tribes, classed under this general title. They were known to the Moabites as Emim, and to the Amorites as the Zamzumim. Some of them found refuge among the Philistines and were still existing in the days of David. We know nothing of their origin. They were not necessarily connected with the giants, the Nephilim, of Genesis 6, 4. And so it's not necessarily a continuing of that pollution of the human race from Genesis 6. These are just a bunch of really big, bad dudes. Uh, you know, just uh, a little genetic pocket of 
giants. A couple of things about Ishbi Banab. One, it says he was bearing a new sword. Now, the original language doesn't specify the word sword. It only indicates that he came with something new. He came against David uh, with his bronze spear and with something new. The world and the flesh and the devil, it's going to come against you with their massive bronze spears, things you're used to and things you've never seen before and you may not be ready for. And so that's why we always need to stay on our guard. I think Christians, it's okay to have a healthy skepticism. When, when you see something or uh, something new or something different, just try and think, okay, what, what is this all about? Before I embrace this, before I, I look at this, how do I understand this? How does this affect my spiritual life? What, where is this going to lead? Is this going to lead to anything good or is it going to lead to a distraction or something actually bad? I think there needs to be a healthy skepticism. Uh, because the world and the flesh and the devil, while they're coming at you in ways that you're used to, they're also, you know, the devil is busy inventing new ways to come at you as well. And so we need to just be aware of that. The second thing here, it says the text says he thought he could kill David. Well, you know what? He couldn't kill David because he was already defeated. Uh, God had determined a path and a plan for David's life. And this wasn't the time that David was going to be killed. Our foes are already defeated. They're defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on Calvary. And when he did, the Bible says he defeated the devil and sin and death. And so the devil has no power over us. All he can do is roar. He goes about as a roaring lion, the uh, Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. But uh, he, he can't really hurt us. He can scare us, but... God's perfect love can cast out that fear. Sin, we're no longer slaves to sin because when Jesus died, we died to sin. And when he rose again, we rose again to new life. Death is not an enemy anymore. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of dying. If I could just die immediately, that'd be cool. Really? I mean, that's the way. I've seen a lot of, some of you too, you've, you've had to watch people die. It's not very glorious. It's, it's pretty sad. And so I don't mind death. Dying worries me a little bit. But then I remember that God always gives grace in those situations. And so, you know, people, people say, well, will you be able to handle this? I, no, I can't handle that. But I will be able to when I go through it because God gives his grace in abundance. But death is not an enemy for a Christian. It's a, it's a blessing. Paul the Apostle said, in a sense, he said, I'd rather die and go to be with the Lord. And if you had the kind of ministry Paul did, yeah. How many shipwrecks and how many beatings and how many stonings and how many imprisonments and times when he was robbed and, uh, and then the care of the churches. Take me home. And then on top of that, he had an infirmity in his flesh, a thorn in the flesh that God wouldn't take away. But he said, no, it's good for you. It humbles you. Uh, and he accepted it. But he said, man... To be absent from the body and present with the Lord, that'd be pretty cool. And so death has been defeated. And so that's what we're seeing here. This giant thought that he could defeat David and what an idiot he was. Because David was not defeatable at this time in his life and neither are we. Verse 17, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him saying, you're not going to go out anymore with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. 
Abishai was right there, ready and willing to defend his king and defeat the giant. There can be times when you are in the battle alone. And man, do those cause you to faint. There's nothing worse than thinking you're the only one in a spiritual battle or in a certain situation when you're starting to see there's nobody helping you and there's a woe is me that kind of comes. Two things to remember. One, Elijah got into a situation like that one time. He ran and ran and ran and he exhausted himself and he ended up in a cave. God finally caught up to him, as it were, and he talked to him and he said, what's the problem? He says, I'm the only one. And God says, well, really, there's 7,000 others that I've reserved for myself. And if it was just me, that would be enough anyway. And it kind of was the effective end of Elijah's ministry. After that, he anointed Elisha, and then he kind of goes off the scene. And so, so there's kind of a gentle rebuke, you know, whenever we feel like, hey, I'm the only one. But a better thing to think of, when you're the only one, how many did God need to fell Goliath? David wasn't bummed. I mean, he, he was upset as a young boy that no one had the, the belief in the Lord to go out against Goliath. He thought that probably any maiden in Israel could go out and defeat Goliath. But he didn't go out and say, oh, I'm the only one. Why is it me? He said, well, all right, if you guys aren't going to do it, I'll do it. And so that's a great ad. So the next time you feel like you're alone in this battle, Think David and Goliath. The encouragement here, though, is to be surrounded by other warriors who can come alongside you in the fight. By the way, on a personal note, uh, when, we, when we see Abishai and David's men, you know, assuming that David was getting older, he said, hey, David, you know, you fought, fought a lot of battles. Why don't you just be king and let us fight? Uh, and so we see God raising up these other men to to do that work. And I love what's happening in our church over the years as uh, God has raised up younger men uh, to do the work of the ministry. And those younger men are raising up other younger men, even younger still. You know, a lot of churches, they're, they're just, they just grow old. Uh, and they don't really raise up the, the younger men they, because it's, it's hard to put authority and responsibility into their hands uh, because people, you know, they don't like to respect those that are younger. But we've done a good job with that here. And there's a bunch of younger guys who are raising up even younger guys uh, to continue the work of the ministry. And that's healthy. Now, David's men were faithful as evidenced by the rest of the chapter. Verse 18, Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. The, uh, then Sebechei, the Hushethite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Philistines just wouldn't stop coming. They had a new giant, but David had a new hero. You can be a hero or a heroine. The Bible is the record of ordinary people who empowered to do extraordinary things for God. God's not really looking for, uh, you know, you to be uh, properly trained and ready to, you know, offer him your services. God's just looking for you. If your heart is towards him, then he'll use you. And, And the thing I like most about churches like Calvary Chapel is that. Uh, people are so unqualified for the things that God calls them to do. 
I, I still, it, it stings a little bit, you know, people say, oh, you know, you've been in the ministry, you know, where did you study, where did you go to seminary, how much Greek can you read, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, 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 and none, you know. Uh, and and uh, I'm not saying any of that's bad, that's fine, that's all good. But God's not really, look, you know, the attitude that we have in the world is, and, you know, if you're looking for a surgeon, this is a good idea. They should have some training. They should go to school, put in all those long hours, be addicted to coffee because they can't sleep, you know, because they have so much work to do, be working on cadavers so that they know where your spinal cord is, you know, those kinds of things. So that when you go under the knife, you've got somebody who's just didn't stay at a Holiday Inn, you know, the last. Sometimes I feel like in the ministry, though, it's more like that. It's like, well, where did you study? I, I, I don't know. I stayed at a Holiday Inn and I read a Gideon's Bible and then God empowered me. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, you know, but but it's it's true at every level in the body of Christ. You God just wants to empower you to do his work. And he's looking for hearts that are yielded to him, not necessarily those that are ready and trained and filled with knowledge. In fact, the wisdom of this world is an, uh, against the Lord so often. You don't want to. It doesn't mean you can't learn and grow and enhance, you know, your uh, your knowledge and all that. But God wants to use you right where you're at right now. Verse 19. Again, there was war at Gob. The Philistines were. Elhanan, the son of Jair Oregim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, this may seem repetitive to us, almost ho-hum, but these were real exchanges in which your life was on the line. The giant was going to fall, but you still needed to fight. His spear was going to whistle past you, but you still had to dodge it or be impaled. Verse 20, yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature. And so this is interesting, among the giant, he was a giant among giants. He had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, just in case we can't count. <laughs> and he also was born to the giant. So he also was Zerophaim. Uh, so when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, killed him. An even bigger, weirder giant faced off against David's men. Same result. For every giant, there was an appropriate giant killer. For every need, there is a member of the church, I would say, to meet it. Step up. Now, spiritually, this I like this. You know, these are physical episodes that have spiritual analogies. On the physical field of battle, here comes the 24-digited giant, you know, kind of the transformer of his day. And he comes out there, and somebody has to face off against him. And in this case, it was uh, this guy, Jonathan. And, and he was faithful, and he killed this giant. Making the spiritual application, it's just true, is it not that in the body of Christ, there might be a giant, there might be a need, we might say. And God is raising up a Jonathan, but we have free will, and sometimes we decide that we're not going to go out and fight that giant. Or we get sidetracked in our own life, or for a myriad of different reasons, 
and and giants they just go on they just keep roaring and you know waving at you with six fingers and you know all that kind of stuff and so you know you you can't you're not supposed to take from this oh god you know all the giants are going to fall yeah if you get in the battle they'll fall because god still needs men and women who stand in the gap and who do what they're supposed to do and it starts at home you need to start doing what you're supposed to do as a christian it's you know that's where the battle is usually won or lost in our walk with the Lord. Then, as I'm walking with the Lord in my personal life, then that spills over into hearing from the Lord and knowing where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing, standing in whatever gap I need to stand in so that the giant will be repelled. Verse 22, these four were born to the giant in Gath. They fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. It's interesting to me that David didn't kill any of these guys. But he's credited with the kills along with his fighting men. One lesson to learn as we leave this is that we are at our best when we don't care who gets credit for our serving. In fact, a lot of spiritual fainting occurs when I feel overlooked or don't get the attention or the credit I think I deserve. We're just that way. We, all of us to, on a certain level crave a certain attention or want to be told that we're doing a great job, or we just want somebody to acknowledge us, some more than others. But here these guys said, David, you stay behind. You're the king. You do king stuff. We'll go out. Spears the size of weaver's beams will come whistling past our heads. We'll kill these 24-digited individuals you know, for you. And then at the end, David and his men. doesn't even list their names, just David and his men. And if you're Jonathan, you're thinking, what am I, chopped liver? I didn't see David out there, you know. I want my name on a plaque. I want my recognition. I want what's coming to me. But uh, you, nothing will cause you to faint quicker than that attitude of, of wanting recognition. Spiritual fainting sneaks up on you. It's common to us all. You wouldn't be encouraged to not faint if it wasn't. If there's no one to help you, rather than grow even more discouraged, see your trouble as a Goliath, and know that the Lord's strength is always sufficient for you. If you see others fainting, come alongside of them. Stand with them. Fight with them or for them. Don't assume that Goliath is their foe to tackle alone, but rather that it's his brother and you're called to come alongside them to help them. Together we face and fell giants. Let's pray.